0: All right. Good morning, Eastridge. I just want to welcome everybody here, those that are maybe new or just visiting. Um, this it, is a great place. We love the Word of God here. And uh, I want to share some of that with you today. And hopefully I'll hold it together the whole time. Um, so if you don't know who I am, I am not Pastor Duane. Um I, I, I work within the church doing different, different functions. I'm on the LT, uh, help with the um, missions, I lead a small group, I'm part of a men's group, part of another men's group, part of another men's group. I'm, I, I love being active and part of this congregation, this body, the, and the, the body of Christ in general. And so today I was given a scripture that's a, a tough one for a guy to speak on because I didn't want to mansplain women's issues for you today. So we're going to take it a little bit deeper, a little bit different than that. We will talk about some of those issues, but going to avoid as much as as I can. (laughs) Um, So um, one thing I should also explain to you is that I am a Bible geek. I love the Bible. I can't get enough of it. I read it all the time. I've been reading it for 40 years and uh, just really digging in. I love to talk about it. I love to think about it. I love to write poetry about it, make art about it. It's just, it's just part of who I am, part of my structure. And so I thought today, before we get started, before we dive deep into this scripture, I, I'd give you guys just a little bit about what it is. Um, I think is really important to do to approach the Scripture, especially if you're finding it stale, you don't understand it, it's just boring. Um, All those things that happen to us over time, over inexperience or too much experience, we've heard the Scripture too much, heard from too many different people, and we just don't get it. And so there's three simple rules. We're going to have a lot of rules today. So uh, three simple rules, and I don't see it up there. <laughs> okay, let me see if I got it written down here. Um, nope, not that one. Let's, let's see. So I think it was uh, slide two, two. Uh nope. Okay. Well, at any rate, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wing this today. So the the. Nope. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened there. All right. So there are three important rules that I I, I like to follow for reading scripture. One, first one is don't be a meme Christian. And by a meme Christian, I mean someone who merely reads memes, spreads memes, talks about memes. And by that, just those one or two little lines that we all like really well. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, the, it's kind of like eating chocolates. They really taste good. They put a smile on your face. They make you feel all warm. But if that's all you eat, pretty soon you get a very sour stomach and you're not feeling well. And so put... Read large sections of Scripture whenever possible. Put it into the context that it's within. Don't, don't, so especially if you see like the word therefore at the beginning of a chapter, that means there was something therefore to go after in the previous chapter because it's referring to something else. So just get in the habit of of reading things in in as much of a whole state as possible. And And the second one is one that I think is really hard, especially in our polarized society right now, is you need to hold that Scripture in your hand delicately, gently, Loose fingers, like a small animal. You know, when you're a little kid and you got a, a little gerbil in your hand and, you, and he starts to squirm a little bit, and you, you scrunch him even harder. What's, what happens? He gets bit, right? You get scratched, you get bit, and the gerbil runs off, or the hamster or the rabbit or whatever animal of your choice. We have to do the same thing with scripture. We have to not try to squeeze it into the mold of what we believe or what we've been taught. Allow it to speak what it's going to speak. If you're a very conservative Republican, you will approach it in a very conservative Republican way, and it may bother you that it says to be nice to people. <laughs> if you come at it from a very liberal Democratic way, it may be hard for you to hear some of the tough rules and some of the tough words of Jesus when he's not exactly a nice guy to everybody around him. right? So we have to like learn to read it for what it is, and try to figure it out, and try to allow it to speak to us. And then the third one, the most important, is allow your imagination to really grab a hold of it, and to, uh, to uh, use creativity and your own life experiences to help you interpret that scripture, to help il- illuminate it. Um, and as you're doing that, start asking yourself these questions. Think about the person who wrote it. So he wrote, there was a very specific person who wrote that very specific line, and he wrote it for a very specific reason, to a very specific people, at a very specific time. And we have to first go there, because that's why it was written. You know, we get, we get a lot of value out of all that now, and it has so much more value and more depth than what that guy even thought, the, or gal, thought at the beginning when they wrote this, but that was his first purpose. So we have to, we have to start there. And, and uh, start. So asking the question, so what was, it, what was it like that day? What would it have been like? What was going on right before that? Did they go have dinner afterwards? I mean, start asking these questions and start getting, letting your mind kind of like really envelop it. Otherwise, we end up with just our flannel graph Bible stories from when we were kids, right? And it's just that one thing, that one story, and it doesn't have any value because it was just that one story we've heard 6,000 times, including the one we're going to read today. And it's very easy just to like skim right over that it was very real people in a very real situation, and Christ is engaging them in a very real way, or depending on what scripture you're reading. Um, so then, and then the most important thing after that is they really ask the Holy Spirit, what are you asking me to do here? What are you trying to teach me? What, what, what is it I should be thinking about doing, engaging with, and just really digging in and allowing the Holy Spirit to really speak and to come over us in those ways? So that's, that's, the, that's the first thing. So now let's read the passage that we have for today. I think it's on the next one. Yep. Uh, so this is in Mark. Uh, it's also in all three, three of the synoptic Gospels, the Gospels that have kind of like the parallel stories within each other. So Matthew, Mark, and um, Luke. So this, this story is in all three of them, but we're going to read the one from Mark because that's we're going through Mark very slowly. We've been for several weeks, going through Mark, and we're already all the way up to chapter 5. So (laughs) it's been a slow walk, which is also kind of funny because Mark kind of has this immediacy to the way he writes, and we're taking it really slow. And so today we're going to take even this one piece even a little bit slower. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her diseases. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your disease so so here we have the story but before we get diving into the story and thinking about all the all the the final ideas of the story the healing the the faith the, the her her personal issues and physicians and, and all of these things, we have to like kind of dial it back just a little bit more, a little bit more. So, first thing, I want to talk about the setting. So, where was this happening? This was happening in Capernaum. I think I've got a couple of foils ready for that too, um, which is a city on the Sea of Galilee, which is a city that Jesus was in a lot. Um, yeah, so, the, so this is the ruins of Capernaum as it is right now. And that big square at the right-hand side of the picture is, uh, w- was the synagogue Jesus would have, have um, taught there, the one he's referred to as teaching, except that it's actually underneath that one. It's been, it's been raised, and then this newer one built like in the second century was built on top of the one that Jesus was actually there. But the basalt is still there from where Jesus was there, so it's kind of fun to kind of go there and touch it. You get, get a little piece of, piece of the reality of where Jesus was. But you, as you can see, it's not a real big village. And if we look at the next foil, you can see that all the structures were at least, at least stone up this high. They may have been taller, but these, this is what they've uncovered so far. Um, and you can see that the roads aren't really wide, and the roads are rough, and the roads are, have like stone walls along each side. And this is the crowded area that Jesus was walking through, according to the story. And so you have to start thinking about what it was it really like? Because I know growing up, I thought, I never thought it totally through. But in my mind, when I hear Jesus was walking the street, I'm thinking, you know, nice pavement, maybe maybe a really nice gravel road with a sidewalk and, and trees. And, you know, it's nice and wide. But this is really crowded. And if you've ever been to any of the ancient cities of the world, and there's lots of them, and they're all like this, the roads are really narrow, and they're ra- rarely straight, and the roads themselves are made, if they, if they are stoned, there's stones missing, there's animal, you know what, all over the, all over the place. So, you're, you're like walking through this stuff, trying not to trip, trying not to fall over, not trying to step into other things. This is this was the, the background of what Jesus was walking through with this crowd. And then we read it also in Matthew, um, his, his account is much more full and lots of details. And I think that's Matthew 8, I believe. But I, I, I have it written down somewhere. It's um, so much, he, it says that he had um, his disciples, had women, had other followers, had all these other people. There, so there was, there was a lot of people cramming around him and trying to touch him and try to be around him and hear the words that he was going to speak and, and hopefully maybe just, just be able to touch Jesus just a little bit, just to get that, that special whatever they needed for the day. So. So it starts to get that mental picture of what we're really talking about here. It's not just this simple story of somewhere this gal was walking down the street and having this this stuff happen to her. So, and there's another foil that kind of shows a rendition of what they think the city probably looked like about that time, about the first century. Um, It was was a fishing village, it's on the Sea of Galilee, it's a major uh, route from Galilee to Damascus and so there's a lot of people traveled through here. It was a fishing village for the most part, so there was a lot of fishing going on. That's why Peter was hanging out there, and uh, it's also in the area of Galilee. So then we also have this ruler that Jesus was walking along with, and uh, I'm not going to talk too much about the ruler because next week we get a, someone's going to be preaching about the ruler and his daughter getting healed, and so that's another part of the story. But the uh, the ruler, it was the ruler of the synagogue, or a ruler of the synagogue. If you look at the the original language, he was just one one of them. But one of the jobs that they had as a ruler of the synagogue, and this was a very important synagogue, actually. So this guy was one of the rulers there. And one of his jobs, main jobs, was to make sure that the order of service happened really well, that everyone followed the rules, that everyone, you know, the music happened, the scripture reading happened, all those things. He, he was the guy that kept the order. But more than that, he was the one to make sure that anyone got out of line, they were punished, that they were fixed, that they were made better, that, they were, that he, he was the one that would engage them in ways that um, we would probably find quite appalling these days. So, you, you, um, Jesus told his disciples, he says, after I'm gone, they're going to turn you guys over to the synagogue rulers, and you will be flogged and and punished, and beaten. So they had this power to do that. That was part of, the, part of their authority. And having this synagogue in your small village would have meant that everyone would know each other, everyone would know this ruler, and yet this ruler is walking with Jesus, who also, if we read the previous chapter, or especially in Matthew, we find out that Jesus has been doing a lot of stuff in the last last uh, 24 hours. He uh, went, calmed, the, calmed the waves and the sea, he uh, cast out demons in the, in, the, um, in the tombs, amongst the tombs, the, and threw them into the pigs. There was also other healings that happened. He also called Matthew to be his disciple. He, this guy's been really busy for the last 24 hours, and, and now he's in this town, and he's done all these things with all these unclean people in all these ways, and this ruler whose job is to keep the order and to keep the rules is walking along with him, which tells us that very likely he was very, very distraught over his daughter uh, being close to death. And so he, he's, he's reaching out to Jesus, who I'm pretty sure the other ruler said, you don't want any part of that guy. That guy hangs out with, with drunkards and tombs and demons and pigs and all of that. And so he's, he's, uh, he's, he's going way outside his thing. And Jesus says, yeah, let's go. Jesus, Jesus accepted him, took him along. So th- then... They come along this and here's this gal and she's touching the hem of his robe and it's very likely it was one of the tassels the jews the jews um, were required by law to have tassels on 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 their garments so that as they're walking and doing things they would feel that tassel and be reminded of god and their service to god and and stuff so it's very likely there's tassels at the bottom of jesus's robe and and she just touched that because as we um, have read she's had this issue for 12 years Pardon the pun. And uh, so she's unclean. She's not allowed to be around people. She's not allowed to sit on things. If she sits on a chair, it's now unclean. If she sits on, a, on a, a donkey, it's unclean. If she lays on a bed, it's unclean. Anybody who sat on that chair is now unclean. Anybody who lay on that bed is now unclean. So it, it, was, it was like she was in this situation, suffering, With doctors, there's many people here. I think have probably suffered at the hand of doctors, um, both good and bad. But we've 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 seen this where it's very difficult to live our lives and to not have solutions. Um, In Luke, the doctor. He says that she went to doctors, but nobody could, nobody could heal her. He, he, he's kind of giving an out to the doctors a little bit, I think. Um, but here we read that she suffered specifically at the doctors and spent all that she had to get better. And she wasn't able to. And so this guy is frantic, this, this ruler, he's frantic with Jesus, heading through town, and this woman touches him, and Jesus stops. And he's reaching out, and he's saying, who touched me? And I... I, I So this is where that imagination piece comes in i'm I'm thinking that i'm this guy who's i've gone way out of my way to talk to jesus to begin with because he's kind of an unclean unruly doesn't follow the rules kind of guy but i need his help and now my daughter is dying and now jesus is stopping to help this woman likely that he knew who's been suffering for 12 years can't she just wait another day can't she wait just a little bit longer my needs are the highest. I can imagine that's going through his head. And Jesus stops. And he says, who touched me? And he looks around. And, it sa- and here it says that she came forward and, and admitted what she had done. But in um, the other Gospels, it, it says that the crowd kind of backed off and, and she couldn't escape. It's kind of the, the impression that you get from those, those readings. And so I'm thinking about this opportunity, this, this time in my life when we were in Rome getting on a subway, and it was really crowded. It was near the Vatican, busiest uh, subway stop in all of, all of Rome. And uh, I'm there with my family, um, and we we're getting on this crowded subway off a crowded platform, and we we're all just like really crowding into, this, into this, this train, and my son starts going off about, give me my wallet, give me my wallet back. He's, he's got some teenage girl, and he's, he's, he's like got a hold of her, and he's trying to get his wallet back from her and she's like, I don't speak English, you know, kind of thing, and uh, that's not making fun of people who don't speak English. That was really what she was doing, and um, so I, I, I'm oblivious, as usual. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying just pushing into the crowd and just the uh, whole experience, but Nancy heard this, and she grabs the gal by the shoulders. And she says, Kevin, we're getting off, and she grabs this guy and literally rides her like a mule off the train out onto the deck. Well, the rest of my family is still on that train. I can't let it go because we're in Rome and I don't know where they're going to end up and they we'll, we may never see our kids again. So I'm, I'm holding the door open to this, this train and uh, telling my kids to get off. And the whole crowd like freaks out because there's this crazy, wild American family just going nuts <laughs> on this train. And... And the whole crowd backs off like this. And in the center of that empty space were these three youth that were with this gal. And I recognized them because they were panhandling and doing stuff outside before we got on the train. And so I grabbed the first one. I said, give me the wallet. And he's, and I, I pull him off the train. And then I reach in. I'm still holding the door. Nancy's screaming, security, security, security. And <laughs> in English, in Rome. and. Uh, and I'm reaching in, I grab the second one, and, he's a, he, and I pull him off. So now i got three of them out here. There's a fourth one inside, and I'm reaching in to grab him, and the wallet comes flying out from the crowd out, out onto the deck. And uh, so there's another guy, apparently, that they'd already passed his wallet off to. And uh, we got the wallet back. I said, check it, make sure it's all there. If they didn't clean it out, and just throw us the empty wallet. And then as soon as that happened, we let him go, and off they went. And, but that's how I picture this situation. Jesus turns around, who touched me? And everyone's like, oh my goodness, this is going to be bad. You know, and so they all back off, and this gal's like just standing there in the middle, just standing there going, uh, I guess it was me. And everyone knows her situation because it's part of their culture, part of the situation of their life there. And uh, well, if you want to read the, 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 the Laws for Purity... We won't go into all of those right now. It's in uh, Leviticus 15. And if you read the whole chapter, again, big chunk, instead of going down to like verse 26, start at the beginning, and it starts off with all the reasons that the men were unclean for the similar issues. If they have a discharge, they're unclean. It goes on and on, and then it gets to the women. So it puts it more into perspective, because I, I think it's really easy to get all worked up over how oppressed women were, and they were, and, and, and miss that God really intended this to be for all, not just singling the women out. So again, putting it all into into, uh, where it goes. So now Jesus is there, and this gal's going, she she falls down before him and says, it was me, I touched you. And I'm sure in her mind she was thinking, I'm just going to touch just the very, very, very edge, the little tassel right down here. And he won't be that dirty because that, that touches the ground anyway. So it's kind of, sort of, unclean anyway. And so I, I won't, and, and then, he, and then he, he flips around and freaks out on her. And his disciples are going, hey, man, we're like in the middle of this big crowd. What are you, what are you talking about? You know, you've been like the fairgrounds when everyone's all crowded around. You say, who touched me? And it's, it's, it's kind of that same, same thing. And his disciples, clueless as always, are, are going, what do you mean, who touched you? And he says, no, I felt this power go out of me and, and she, she says, I, I did it, I'm the, I'm the one, I'm guilty. And he, um, so you wanna go ahead and show that next foil. So this is, this is a painting, but, uh, so, but he turns around and he says, daughter, daughter. The only woman he calls by that name in the whole Bible is this unclean woman that the rest of society had cast out, which is very interesting you know, all in and of itself. And uh, so he, he says, your faith has made you well, has healed you. So she's not only touching him as unclean, she's also coming to him as if almost a superstition. If I just touch, if I just touch his robe, the, the magic will happen. And Jesus' response was not, I need to fix your theology. It was not, I need you to see me as this great healer standing before the crowd going, Look at it, one and all, one and all. I, I, I feel a woman, there's a woman with an issue. I want, God's going to heal her today here, right? It's not, it wasn't a big healing show. Jesus was not into that. He, was, he just says, your faith has made you well. He, he corrected, it's a correction, but it's a nice one. He didn't also explain all her other issues and everything else that was going on in her life. He just meets her where she's at. And that's where God, I think, meets us is where we're at with whatever screwed up theology we got in our heads, whatever messed up beliefs, rubbing my little, little coin in my pocket, making sure that the magic happens or whatever. God will meet us there. He won't leave us there. He wants much more for us. He wants us to understand it's our faith in him that makes us well. Um, so, so back to the painting. So this painting, if you show the next slide, is in a chapel in Israel as well in um, Magdala, which is 10 clicks if you're military <laughs> from, Gal- from uh, Capernaum. It's just, just basically the next little dock port down, down around the bend. And uh, down in um, the basement of this, this um, cathedral, it's a beautiful cathedral, is, is this chapel. And this chapel really, you go, you go in and, and the mural, is, it, it's, it's as big as around as this whole area right here. It's, it's huge. And the feet, where the tassel is, where Jesus is being touched, is right at eye level. You can't miss it. But beyond that, the whole room is set up with its um, stone. It, it's, it's oddly shaped, and so you feel like you're being crushed. You're, you're being pulled in. You, and you can't do, do anything but focus on this one thing, and the, the floor is all uneven. And it's a magnificent place to go and just really understand This was a real thing that happened to a real person at a real time, and there was a real healing done. So, this all kind of leads into um, my my viewpoint that we sometimes over-spiritualize Jesus. I know it's really hard to over-spiritualize God in flesh. I mean, it's about about as spiritual as you can get. But I think oftentimes we think that somehow... He got a pass in life. He didn't really have to work at it too much. He just kind of showed up on the scene, and all of a sudden, this stuff just starts happening. This is really cool. Like, God's here, I'm here, watch this. But I think, I'm wondering if Jesus didn't spend the first 30 years, because he didn't start ministering until he was about 30 years old, learning how to engage with the people around him, how to engage with rulers and unclean people and crowds All at the same time, fully tired, fully worn out, fully hot, fully crowded, fully upset and angry at just how much work he's got to get done in the day. And I wonder if sometimes in the morning he didn't wake up and think about, oh, I really missed that opportunity yesterday. I could have healed three more people. I'm really a screw up. Oh, you know, I'm wondering if he doesn't have to deal with all that too, have to work through it. And so, so then I start thinking about how does Jesus get to the point where he can do the things he's doing? It's, 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 it's phenomenal. It's remarkable. And so it's really easy to, just to spiritualize. Well, he was the son of God. He was God incarnate, and, and he was. I'm not challenging that in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I think there's a reality to his humanness that we need to really comprehend and work at so that we can really comprehend and work at the spiritual sons and daughters of God that we are being called to, to be, that we are fully engaged with the people around us. And um, so I, I think about Jesus, you know, it says he went out early in the morning and prayed. He would go out alone. He would spend time. And I, I think parts of that were, were, were kind of that, that learning, having that space where he can get charged up to go back in. But then he also had to just deal with people. He had also in Matthew in the same, same group of uh, in the same time zone, the same 24 hours is when Mary and Jesus' brothers all showed up to, to, to take him back home because he's obviously off his rocker. He's, he's working too hard. He's doing too many things. He's just crazy. We need to get him back home and get him, get him fixed up, and uh, we'll, fit, we'll sort the rest of this out later. That's all part of this. So, Jesus is like, he's a, he's a real guy dealing with real family, real friends, real issues, real people in a real way. And so, A few years ago, I'm going to kind of step sideways, but it all ties together. So a few years ago, I was uh, working at Intel, and uh, they encouraged us to uh, get um, Facebook and other social media accounts to learn how to use it to uh, spread the gospel of Intel, literally their words to evangelize, it's, it's, a, it's a word now amongst uh, businesses to evangelize their business model or whatever. And I thought, well, I'm actually doing a lot of stuff out in the world and I've really fought tooth and nail to be a part of social media in any way, shape or form. But that's where the people are. So I need to engage with people and for various, various things. And so I will do this project and I will, I will be, get good at it. And so I set up my, my accounts and then people started asking me to be there, be friends. And the first thing I realized was, I don't want to be their friend. I don't want to be their friend. I certainly don't want to be their friend. Uh, I'll turn them on for a week, but they, they've got to really prove themselves, or they're not going to be my friend either. And I realized I had three friends in the whole world on Facebook, and I was supposed to be like engaging. And I realized that's the way I'd lived most of my life was I insulated myself to the one, one or two people that I trusted, that I would believe that were going to be there, and, and, and I enjoyed. And the rest of the time, I pushed everybody off, held them at a distance. They were, they were just, they're out there. They're annoying. They're bother. They're, they're time-consuming. They, they just suck life. That's, that's basically how I viewed people. And, and then I'm reading Scripture, you know, Jesus saying to love your neighbor. And I'm going, oh, gosh, I've been a Christian for like 40 years reading this stuff. And I, I, th- I believe all that, but I don't live it. I don't, I'm not engaging people around me unless I'm able to make a really good joke about them because that's, that's kind of fun. And uh, so I really had to repent of that. And so I started, okay, I'm just gonna start engaging. I'm gonna start, if somebody asks me to be their friend on Facebook, unless it's uh, some hooker or a, a, some Russian <laughs> troll, I'm, I'm gonna say yes, right? And middle aged guys, you know what i 'm talking about. You get pinged all the time from these pretty little gals that you have no idea how they got your name and they want to be your friend. I avoid those. The rest of you are okay <laughs> and then as part of that also, I was starting to um, do some some art some some uh, cont- contemplative art and I, thought, I was just looking for places where I could could uh, experiment and do fun things and engage with people like-minded. And so, I joined different groups on Facebook and on on the internet to uh, get prompts for writing and and different things. Well, most of these groups are full of nuts. They're they're crazy. (laughs) In fact, the first one I really enjoyed, and I actually got published in one of their books, was... uh, led by a Buddhist monk. So, you know, so, so, so here I am. I, my first, like to recoil. I can't be part of Buddhism. I can't be a part of people that are Buddhists. But yet, I felt like compelled by God to, like, engage. And so I started engaging, and I engaged in ways that weren't offensive to them, but were not also watering down my, my, my belief system. And so I was able to engage in 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 ways with people that I wouldn't have. And I get to hear their voices. I get to hear them and understand them and, and see where they're coming from. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, the Buddhists are nuts, but that guy's okay. Oh, yeah, those guys are crazy, but she's okay. And you start dealing with people as individuals. And you start hearing their stories. You start to engage. All of a sudden, you can touch. You can be around. You can listen to. You can have conversations with. You can have arguments with people that are totally outside your universe, totally outside, and much richer for it. They're much richer because I get to bring the gospel to them, and, you know, I'm, I have these awesome abilities. And, <laughs> but that's, that's joking in a, in a way, in a way. But, uh, but it, it is, you get, you get to earn your place at the table. They won't listen if we are only offensive, they will not listen if we're only confrontational. They will not listen if we don't listen. You have to engage people where they're at. And so all of a sudden I have friends. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> so then I started going, well, I still don't really engage with people in general. I mean, online's okay because th- it's pretty safe, right? I mean, I-, I can choose who and when and how I want to engage and I can think it through and all of that, but then you get the real people the ones you meet every day, the ones you work with, the ones at the grocery store, and I don't engage, I'm not engaging with them. So what, what should I do? How can I do it? And somehow, I ended up with this other group that I was part of called the Holy Disorder of Dancing Monks, and uh, it's a real thing. <laughs> and, and they have, uh, it's a lot of contemplative arts and um, spiritual guidance kind of things, and some of it's way out in the nut zone, but it's also a lot of opportunity for me to hear from different backgrounds and, and uh, traditions. And, uh, but part of what being you know, a dancing monk is, you have to like sign the monk manifesto. And the monk manifesto, I'm not sure if I got that foil up there, has uh, eight rules and there was two rules that really really stuck out to me. That, that, um, yeah, so here, rule number two. I commit to radical acts of hospitality. That means I'm going to just do things in a hospitable way all the time. I'm just going to choose to do it even though it's really a time sink. It's really hard. People, I don't like people. Seriously, I don't like people. And then, all of a sudden, I started liking people. I started having people that I didn't agree with, I, I could spend time with. And all of a sudden, I, I even found I was getting energized by talking to people, which never happened before. It used to suck, all, suck everything out of me. And now, all of a sudden, I can talk with, and I, I just feel like I want to talk more. I want to, I want to hang out. Um, and then I commit to bringing myself fully present to the work I do, uh, whether paid or unpaid, holding a heart of gratitude for the ability to express my gifts in the world in a meaningful way. And so that, this is like y- you sign on, you say, yeah, I'm going to do these things. There's, there's six more. I won't go into those. But um, these two really stood out. And so I started figuring out how, how, how do I do that? How do I commit radical acts of hospitality? And so then I came up with some more rules which is really funny. God's got a hu- great sense of humor because I hate rules. I literally do not abide by rules. I think rules are great for an idea of what you could do or shouldn't do, but I'm much smarter than most of the people that made those rules, so I'm just going to choose what I'm going to do. And, and so that's, that's, that's been the way I've lived my life, and now all of a sudden I'm making these rules, and I call them life rules because I had um, a counselor I was meeting with, and she says, well, Kevin, what are your life rules? And I go, I don't have any life rules. I was was like adamant. I'm not going to have any life rules because that's really, I don't want rules. Rules are, they're they're too constricting. Life should be free. It should be more organic. And uh, so then I started going, well, okay, I, I can start doing a few things. So first one was I'm always going to leave the closest parking space wherever I go. Now this doesn't actually make me engage with a person, but it makes me engage with the idea that I really am not the most important person in Happy Valley today. There may be somebody else that needs that parking space. And so I start thinking about them. So that was a simple one I put in place. uh, Somebody asked me the other day, well, how many rules do you have? I said, well, I think it's like 23 now. (laughs) But um, I I have some more written down here. But uh, one of the most important ones that really helped me engage with people is to, um, whenever someone's talking to me, I stop and let them talk. I don't try to talk over them. I don't try to shut them down. I don't try to, as I had been doing for so many years, just say what I needed to to get them out of my hair. Just say what you need, say what they want to hear, say what they need, whatever. Here it is, go. And now I, and part of that is, like at work, I have a, a cubicle, and it's kind of a big, large area with um, a lot of open space. And people—it's kind of on a main main routes of travel between here and Damascus. They, they everyone stops, and uh, they want to talk. And it used to annoy me. It used to really, really get under my skin until I started this rule where I have to stop, stop typing because it, it's pretty easy to like, you know, you continue with the computer and you're like carrying on a conversation, but you're really just trying to let them know that you're really busy and with things that are far more important than, you know, listening to them about their, their kids or their dog, you know, and um, so now I physically have to turn and engage with that person until they're done talking, and sometimes it takes a really long time, and sometimes it means I can't get to my work right away, and I've got to work a few minutes over after, after hours or whatever to make up for whatever it was, but I'm learning to engage with people. I'm learning to talk to them, they're, they're coming in. We even put in a little couch in the, in the cubicle where people would just come in, and they would just sit. We called it the therapy couch, and they would just come and sit next to my desk. And that was really bad because then I really had to, like, t- totally turn and fully engage. Um, another part of that is to, uh, if someone's talking to me, I'm out in the yard, and the neighbor shows up. We've all had that experience. We're trying to get some yard work done, and the, the chatty patty from next door pops over, and you're going, I really don't have time for this. And so you get your earbuds on, so it's like you're kind of like, yeah, okay. And you back in, and you, and you go back to work. Technology goes off. Somebody started talking to me. I got my phone in my hand. Phone goes upside down on the table. Every time, that, that's a rule. That's that's what a life rule is. So if you show kind of what I mean by rules, the next uh, thing here. There it is. Rules of engagement. That's what I call them. They're life rules, but they're really rules of engagement. I'm teaching myself to engage with people, to have experiences with people, to actually talk to people, to spend time with them. And there are personal rules that are followed regardless of the situation. So if any of you read any uh, Cormac McCarthy's uh, books like The Road or All the Pretty Horses and stuff, he always has this character. are really, really messed up characters, but they have a rule that they follow no matter what. And that's kind of what a life rule is. I set up a rule and I follow it no matter what, no matter how crazy it is, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me, how much extra work I've got to do, that's what the rule is, that's what I follow. And it forces me to actually engage. And now I'm engaging and I have friends. (laughs) It's very strange. I have a neighbor. I, I know my neighbors. I know my neighbors' names because we made a rule that if we met a neighbor and they gave us their name, we would go into the house immediately and write it on, the, we have a little map of our neighborhood, and we would write their name in the, in the box where their house is. So the next time they come over and we can't remember their name, we can remember their name because we have it written down. We don't have to ask it again. It's not embarrassing. And all of a sudden, I know the names of my neighbors. Nancy and I have owned homes for nearly 40 years, and this is the first time in the last two years I've ever known my neighbors in 40 years. We have lots of other little goofy rules for you know, just hanging out outside. Don't, don't close the garage door right away so you don't shut yourself off. Um, you know, because that's what we do, right? That's, especially, I think, our Happy Valley model is <laughs> literally, I'm going to go into my cocoon. I need to shut the door as fast as possible so no one else can break in. And uh, we need to let people break in. We need to break into their lives. So one day, I'm just about out of time, so we're going to wind it up. Uh, Seven o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call, and my phone goes off. And it says, it's Emily. And I go, ah, that's interesting, what's Emily? Hey, Emily, what do you want? Yeah, Kevin, uh, Mike and I are stuck in the garage, and uh, we don't know how to get out. The power's out in the garage, and we can't get the garage door open. And I'm not even dressed. I go, OK, I'll be over She says, well, we need to go right away. So I talked her through how to disengage the garage door and get it open. And then I went over later and fixed their uh, uh, GFCI had kicked off, and it just needed to be replaced, and we fixed that. And uh, the remarkable thing about that is one, I knew emily 's name, two, I had her name in my phone, three, she felt free enough to call me at seven o 'clock in the morning this This is phenomenal, and uh, we have a lot of interaction with our neighbors now it 's uh, quite quite remarkable so what I want to leave you, this is New Year's, right? We're, we're getting ready for all those New Year's resolutions. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be so much better next year than I was this year because this year I was, I was okay. I mean, most of us think maybe even it's a little above okay. We're a little above average. But I really want to be awesome next year. Well, instead of like setting a goal, I want to be awesome next year. Well, can you just think about that one thing you could do that would force you to engage with people differently than you do right now. Just that one little rule, follow it, you, you'll be amazed. And um, with that, um, I think that was my last foil, and I, I'll call the band out here, but I'll, I'll pray, pray while they're coming out. I'd probably mess them all up, because my foils got out of order. and I, I had the foils out of order. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask you to help us engage with your word to really read your word, to really know your word, to really hear your voice, and to, f- to know those things that you're calling us to and the, to have a willingness to follow it. Lord, that you would lead us into this new year in ways that we can't even imagine. That you would overwhelm us with your spirit. That you would overwhelm us with your, your wisdom and your knowledge. Lord, that you, the fruit would just pour out as we step into the things you're calling us to, that we would just simply have faith, Lord, that we would just simply have that little bit that we need to just get over that little bit of hurdle, and we would just hear you and trust you and follow you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.